Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. If you have a Bible, I want to ask if you would to turn over to the book of Luke with me this morning. We're going to eventually get to Luke chapter 6. We'll get there, I promise. I'm not going to promise you how soon we're going to get there, but we will get there. Um, In Luke chapter 6, we'll take a look at some powerful words of Jesus that are relevant for us today. But I want to begin, I um, I want to give you a passage before we begin from the book of Jeremiah. Just a great promise for us from the book of Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah the prophet was writing and delivering the words of the Lord. And as he was delivering the words of the Lord here, he was bringing God's message to a people that were lost and undone much in the way the world is today. So much that the scripture tells us that Jeremiah was, was a weeping prophet. We see Jeremiah crying because he sees people who have not put their trust and their hope in, Jesus, in, in, in God, which was Jesus Christ. But here, Jeremiah is delivering the message to God's people. And these are the words of the Lord is recorded by Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I love this passage of Scripture, and I love that these are God's words. The thing that is so encouraging to me is not that Jeremiah wrote these words down as words that were to encourage the people, but the thing that is so encouraging to me was that these were God's own words And if the world and church, the bride of Christ, needed to hear anything from God today, these are the words that we need to hear. God said, if you, that's us, seek me, that's him, you will find me, that's him, when you, that's us, seek him, me, with all of our heart. But you know what happens? We beat ourselves up and we wonder why we're not experiencing the presence and promises of God. The answer can be found for us in Jeremiah 29, 13. When a world is lost and undone and we see evil moving across the world, then we as a body of believers have the answer in the presence of Jesus Christ and the promise from God that can be found in Jeremiah 29, 13. But here's what we do. I want to take us back several years, for some of you, it may be a lot of years, to when you were a child. I don't know about you, but one of the games that I loved playing as a child 
was hide and seek. My grandpa, my mom's dad, though, liked to play hide and seek his way. And one of the things that my grandpa would say is, do you want to play hide and seek? Well, what's a kid to say? Yeah, we want to play hide and seek. And then my grandpa would say, you go hide and I'll come find you. But he didn't come find us. It was his way of saying, just leave me alone for a little bit. And we thought that we were playing games. It took years for my sister and I to discover this. We would go hide, and then if I were hiding in a closet, I would peek out, Grandpa, come find me. He would say, I'm coming. I'm coming to find you. I'd close the door and wait for him to come and wait for however long, and he, w- he wouldn't come look. I'd say, Grandpa, come find me. I'm looking. And they would, are you over here? Are you over here? And then I would say, Grandpa, I'm not in the closet, so don't look in the closet. We would play this game on and on and on until we eventually came out. You know what a lot of us do with God? We play hide-and-seek. If this were God, we play hide-and-seek. And we're thinking, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, I'm looking for you over here. We actually get up and we're, we're thinking, is God over here in this situation? And then when we don't find God over there, we go over here and we're looking over here for this situation. We think, well, the church must be the problem. I couldn't find God in this church, so I'm going to go find God in this church. We think, uh, that's this situation, and so I can't find God in this marriage, and so I'm going to go find God over here in this marriage. I can't find God in this financial situation or in this job, so I'm going to go find God over here in this financial situation or in this. But you know what the promise that God has given to us is he's already there. And he also said to us, not just to the Hebrew children here. The promise is there for us also. That if we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. The problem is not the situation. The problem is our seeking. Well, you see, God did not say You will seek me and find me when you find the right situation to be able to find me. That's not the promise of God. The promise of God is not you will seek me and find me whenever your circumstances improve or the noise in your life quiets down just enough so that you can find me. That's not the promise of God. The promise of God is he is here. And whenever we are truly ready to find him, and whenever we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. You see, if you're looking for God over here in this situation, he's there. And you can find him if you're seeking him with all of your heart. And if you are seeking God over here in this situation and you are seeking him with all of your heart, you will find him. If we are seeking God over here, and a Republican is president, or a Democrat is president, he's here, and we can find him if we will seek him with all of our heart. You see, circumstances, the environment... And the political culture have no bearing or weight on the presence of God. 
God is here, and God's desire is to be found. The way that we find Him is when we seek Him with all of our heart. So you think, you think then all of the sudden that it's up to us. Mm-mm. It's not up to us. You see, God, God is everywhere. God is with us in good. He's with us in bad. He's with us in the beautiful. And he's with us in the ugly. And his desire is to be found. And so it's not like God is hiding in the closet and he's crying out, hey, come peek over here. I'm over here in this closet. No, 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 no. God is there. He's just waiting for you to come to him with all of your heart because God doesn't want to play games. And when you are serious, and when you are ready to walk away from all of the other things that can give you answers in life, then you're going to find God. You see, if you seek him with all of your heart, then you will find him. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? I want to take you all the way back to the very beginning. There's so much truth for us that we can discover in the book of Genesis that we actually see played out in our own life. And if we understand the truths in Genesis, then we'll be able to see what God's intentions were and why it was important for him to come on the earth, wrap himself in flesh, and give himself as a sacrifice so that we could have the presence and have a relationship with him. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, We discover here is Adam and Eve. And here in the beauty of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are in relationship with God. The scripture tells us something amazing that every time I read it, it just blows my mind. It says that God was walking and talking with them in the garden. What a relationship with God they had. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3, and something happens. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve both fall prey to temptation that came from the enemy. And then in that temptation, whenever they yielded and they committed the first sin on this earth, the relationship with Adam and Eve and God was broken. And from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ, God was putting in a plan in motion so that we would be able to have mankind, would be able to have a relationship with God that is His presence with us. Always through this time from Genesis chapter 3 until Jesus died on the cross, the presence of God had to be separated from man with a barrier. And whenever the priest would go in, and they were able to offer the sacrifice, and the presence of God came down, they would tie a rope around the priest because of the the priest's ankle. Because if the priest did not do something exactly right, the presence of God would kill the priest. And they would have to drag the priest out because they couldn't go in and get him. Because this barrier, this veil, separated them from the presence of God in the tabernacle and also in the temple. But what God wanted to do was come in the flesh 
to make way for us, mankind, to be able to experience His presence and walking with Him and talking with Him in the way that He intended with mankind in the beginning of creation. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we discover this verse, verse 8 and 9. Then Adam and Eve, this is whenever they had sinned, or after they had sinned, then Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God is in the garden with them. Adam and Eve has just sinned and done what God told them not to do. The presence of God is on the face of the earth with his creation. And it says they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now wait a minute. They had a relationship with God. God walked with them. He talked with them. They were with God in the garden. And then they sinned. And all of a sudden in verse 9, we discover, or verse, at the end of verse 8 here, we discover that they are hiding from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And here's the first game of hide and seek. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? They're hiding. Why is it they're hiding? They're hiding in the shame of sin. Because they know that they have done harm and damaged the relationship that they had with God. You see, the voice of shame will always push us away from the presence of God. And the enemy's role in temptation and sin is to cause us to get wrapped up in our shame so that we don't move forward and experience the power and presence of God Almighty. And so the enemy is making us play this ping-pong game of life. One minute... We're stuck in our shame. In the next minute, we're finding God and saying, God, I need your power and your presence in my life. And then the shame comes back in and we're stuck over here in shame and we're hiding just like Adam and Eve were in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Because we're so undone and lost in our shame that we feel that we need to hide from the power and presence of God. Hear me when I say this. God's design for mankind was for us to always experience His presence. Always. And when He is telling His people in Jeremiah chapter 29, you will seek, if you seek Me, you will find Me when you seek Me with all of your heart. It's not that God wanted to hide. It's we hide when we are lost in shame. And He is calling us up out of the shame to come back and experience the power of His presence. Listen to me, Whitechapel Church. This world does not need any answers other than the presence of Jesus And we have to live in the presence so that it attracts the world instead of getting lost in our shame and our own barriers that we repulse the world. But the choice is for us. You will seek me or you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
God is here. God is here with us. He is here to be found. The problem is not with God. The problem is, are we going to play these half-hearted games, or are we going to find God when we seek Him with all of our heart? So I want to give you one question for today. This is one question for you today. Who are you seeking? Who or what are you seeking? Whenever we find ourselves in shame, that is the result of us seeking something other than the presence of God. Whenever we find ourselves lost and undone, whenever we find ourselves living these defeated lives, then what we are seeking is not the power of the presence of God. There's two things that we can always seek. We can seek the world or we can seek Jesus. And the truth of the matter is this. Listen, we are always seeking something. Always. When you're sitting watching television and you think it's just you and nobody else, what are you seeking? When it's you sitting behind a keyboard and there's a computer monitor in front of you or you're holding your phone, what are you seeking? Let me tell you, you are seeking something because you're always seeking something. Adam and Eve thought that they were okay just eating a little bit of fruit in the garden. You know, it's just fruit. It's just a tree. What's, what's the deal with this? Why would God put something here that he didn't want us to partake of? You ever heard of that? No. You see, they were seeking something. And in seeking what came about because they ate the fruit, they were not seeking the presence of God. And then that led them to hiding whenever God wanted to be with them. What is it that you're seeking? If we were to take a test, pass out paper and pen to everybody, and I were to ask you to write down your actions over this last week, and we were to write down everything that you did in this last week, and then we were to views the, view these things that you put on your sheet through the lens of Scripture, and then we were to take Jeremiah 29, 13 and lay it over the top of your sheet. And if Jeremiah 29, 13 were to black out or erase every one of those things on your sheet that did not seek the presence of Jesus, what would be left on your sheet? You see, you're always seeking something. Even in your circumstances... When it seems like the world is crashing down on us, or it seems like your family is being torn apart, you've got two options in that. Are you going to allow those circumstances to push you to seek a way out? Or are you going to allow those circumstances to push you to discover the presence of Jesus? You see, the circumstances of life are not the problem. The circumstances of life are what God has brought into your, allowed into your life to lure you back to seeking His presence. Lure was the wrong word that I, I, that I should not have used the word lure there. To draw you back into His presence. God doesn't lure us. 
He's not trying to, you know, that's not what God does. His goal is to draw us to him. And the circumstances are never the problem. It's in those circumstances that you get to choose. Are you seeking answers or are you seeking the presence of God? And hear me, when you seek the presence of God, you will always find the solution. But when we're over here trying to find answers and we're opening this door and we're opening this door and we're opening this door and we're going from here to here to here to here, we will never find the answer until we live out Jeremiah 29, 13. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So, so what is it that you're seeking? What is it that you are seeking? So let me give you some of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 4. We're going to get to Luke chapter 6. Stay right there. Don't leave just yet. We'll get there. But I want to give you this. Luke 4, 43. So here Jesus has begun his mission, his, his life's plan here on the earth. And Jesus is telling those that are gathered around him the reason that he came. We need to know this as his bride. Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. So as the Lord began stirring this message for me and watching some events of the world beginning to unfold over the past week or two weeks, I was going back in my journal in the time where I sit with the Lord, and, and, and my journal is, is simply um, how I record my conversations with the Lord, because I'm forgetful. And if the Lord tells me something, and I don't write it down, it's gone. Now, He may bring it up at some other time down the road, but I want, if, I want to be able to keep my relationship with the Lord as a record so that I can go back through it and I can see how the Lord is working in my life. That's what's so powerful about the Bible. My journal is not the Word of God. My journal is simply my, the record how I have recorded how God is working in my life because I need it in times like this that the world is going through to be able to encourage me that yes, God is with me and yes, God is at work and I don't have to get lost in the hopelessness of this world because my hope is in Jesus Christ. So as I'm going back through my journal in prayer, preparing for this message, he took me back several weeks ago, a month, uh, five, six weeks ago or so, um, maybe even longer than that, the beginning of the, at the beginning of the summer or somewhere in there, um, the Lord had been stirring in me the power of the kingdom of God. So I shared that with you on a Sunday. And so as I was going in a, in a message a couple of months ago, as I'm, as I'm going back through this, the Lord reminded me that the answer for the world can be found in the presence of Jesus Christ. And despite the actions of the enemy, God's presence always always brings peace. And so I went back to a verse that he had reminded me of a couple of, a couple of months ago when I shared a message with you. And Jesus' words, the answer, the reason that Jesus was sent was the kingdom of God. And so then as I began to take a look at Jeremiah 29, 13, I thought, wow, what God said in Jeremiah 
in what Jesus actually proclaimed when he said, this is the reason I came. It's the kingdom of God to bring and launch the kingdom of God. Because for a number of years, 4,000 or so years or however long that was, the kingdom of darkness was sweeping across, was sweeping across the world. And they had to actually carry the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God with them. And it was only in this one location. But the reason that Jesus came was so that God's presence would not be bound to one location, the Ark of the Covenant, but so that the presence of God could be with us, His believers. And if you take a look at the announcement of Jesus' birth... The amazing thing about that was God proclaimed through prophecy why he was coming. He says in Matthew 1.23, the virgin will conceive, that's Mary, and give birth to a son, and they will call him, catch this, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you catch the promise of God for us? That God is not isolated from us. That God is not absent from our circumstances. God is not playing hide and seek with us. God's desire is to be with us. And herein is the answer to the world. And we, the body of Christ, has the answer. It's the kingdom of God which brings the presence of God which destroyed the darkness and the works of the enemy. The enemy is already defeated. We're not waiting for a future defeating of a battle that's going to take place. The purpose of the cross was to defeat the sin that came into the world that separated God from his creation in Genesis chapter 3 and then to defeat the consequence of that sin, which was death. And there we have the empty tomb. The enemy's defeated. It's already done. It's finished. Jesus proclaimed it on the cross. And the reason it was finished is because the enemy cannot keep the presence of God from his people any longer. Amen? This is our power, church. This is where the world finds the answers. And for too long, we have allowed it to stay inside these walls when the world needs to hear this message. So, I want to ask you, where or who are you seeking? Because you're always seeking something. Who or what are you seeking? You see, this world functions by its own wisdom. But kingdom children, that's us. We function with kingdom power. And let me tell you, the answer for what's happening in Afghanistan cannot be found in Washington, D.C. or in London, England. The answer for the political turmoil and unrest, if we want Joe Biden, the Republicans, the Democrats, the independents, the Green Party, the Blue Party, the Red People, the White People, the Black People, the Green, whatever. If we want them to come up with answers, what they're going to do is function with worldly wisdom. And you know how they work? They get a bunch of people around a table. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What does your intelligence tell us? What do you think? They go around and they bring to the table 
what they think and what their opinions are. And then an election comes in four years, and they get some different people because what they thought didn't work, and then maybe what these new people think is going to work. And then when that doesn't work in four or eight years, they bring in some new people, and we'll see well, what they didn't work or what they did didn't work. So let's see if there's some new people that can come up with some new answers, and they can have better. The problem is not intelligence. The problem is not the people. The problem is the age-old war that's been taking place since Genesis chapter 3. And that is the war between God Almighty and the enemy. And if we want worldly wisdom, we'll never find the answers. What if a group of people said, I'm tired of asking a bunch of politicians what the answer is? Why don't we ask God what the answer is? You see, kingdom children function with kingdom power. And the way that we get kingdom power is to invite the presence of God. It's Jeremiah 29, 13. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The answers for us is not in worldly wisdom. The answer for us is found in Jesus Christ. And the more I understand kingdom living, living under the authority of Jesus Christ, and the more I experience His presence every single day, the more I begin to realize the power that is available to us as the bride of Christ. So who are you seeking? Who or what are you seeking? Luke chapter 6. And here's our message for today. Two simple verses. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 and verse 40. If you have a red letter edition Bible, these are words that are in red because these are Jesus' words. Jesus said, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Verse 40. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. You think, what in the world does that have to do with what you've talked about for the last 20 minutes? And when I felt the Lord direct me to these two verses this past week, I began to ask the same questions to the Lord. God, what, what do these two verses have to do with your presence? What do these two verses have to do with the answers that we need in this country right now? And this is, this is what the Lord boldly and powerfully spoke to me. Who is your teacher? I have a conversation with the Lord. I'm like, well, it's that simple, Lord. Lord, you're my teacher. And the Lord said, no, no, no. We as a church have to ask, we as a church, as Whitechapel Church, we have to answer that question. Who's our teacher? Jesus said, in verse 40, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. So Jesus is telling his disciples as they've just begun his earthly ministry, 
He's telling them, listen, listen to what, what I'm telling you and telling you this parable. When you become fully trained, these are, this is my interpretation of what Jesus is saying to his, to his disciples. When you become fully trained, you are going to become like him. And we're not going to be greater than Jesus, but we are going to begin to live and operate with the mindset that Jesus had. Now, I am not saying, don't get me wrong, I am not saying that we become Jesus, little Jesus. No, no, no. That would be a lie from the enemy, and that is not the truth. But what Jesus is telling us is we have to become disciples of Jesus. We're not going to be perfect here on the earth. We'll never obtain full sanctification, fully like God, until we get to heaven. We are still in the flesh, and the flesh has failed just like it did starting in Genesis chapter 3. But what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6 is, listen, we have to answer the question, who is your teacher? So who is your teacher? When you turn on the news at nighttime, who's your teacher? When you're watching what's happening in Afghanistan and you're upset over one political party or the other political party? Who is your teacher? When we go back and we relive the events of the election in November and we get caught up in that mess, who is your teacher? Whenever we start to look at what's happening in this world and we become overwhelmed by the weight of the mess that this world is in, who is your teacher? Jesus said, God said, in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll find me, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So the question again for us is, who are we seeking? Because when we answer that question, then we'll be able to determine who our teacher is. I think it is past time that we as the church stop debating political philosophies. And I think it is time for us to start living a kingdom of God mentality so that we invite the presence of God to change the world the way that He intended. See, We have to answer if we want to be like President Biden, if we want to be like President Trump, if we want to be like President Obama, if we want to be like President Bush, or we want to be like President Clinton, President Bush, or President Reagan, or President Carter. We go on and on and on. Do we want to be like them? There were, there were some great things some of those men did. And they all take actions that have direct implications on our life. But Jesus did not come and spend his 33 or so years here on the earth trying to overthrow Caesar. He said to those around him, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. In other words, let the government do the government stuff. Because the world approaches things with worldly wisdom. 
And Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, I came to preach or bring about the kingdom of God. And we have to answer the question of who we are seeking so we will know who our teacher is. So I want to give you a little bit of an article that I ran across from, by Eric Geiger. He's an author and he has a, a blog that I, I read periodically. And the title of this, this actually caught my eye a while back and I, and I hung on to it. Because the title of this is, and I don't want you to tune me out when I read some of this. I want you to stick with me because it's important. And I think the church is at a crossroads. I think our country is at a crossroads. And we've got to answer the question who we're seeking, who our teacher is, so that we know which direction to go. We have to know if we are seeking God with all of our heart or if we're trying to find answers somewhere else. But the title of this blog is Three Warning Signs That Politics Has Become Your Religion. Don't, don't tune me out. Don't ignore me, but I just want to share these three things that I think could be litmus tests for us if we are discovering or if we are looking for answers in our government or if we are looking for answers in the kingdom of God. The first thing he says is, you will know that politics has become your religion if politics is what you're most passionate to speak about. So, here's a good test for us. I think a lot of us have some form of social media. A lot of us spend time on the internet. And all of us have 24 hours in a day. So let's look at these. How much do you post about politics or the mess of the world versus posting about Jesus Christ? Well, if you spend more time posting about the mess of the world than politics... And politics has become your religion. And politics is your teacher. If you spend more time watching television, uh, political stuff, than you do tuning that out and tuning in to Jesus Christ, then politics has, and news has become your religion. You see, Jesus, or God, in Jeremiah 29, 13, said, you will seek me when you find me, or you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And if we're spending more time talking about politics, and if we're spending more time talking about the mess of the world, then that leaves less time for us in our 24-hour day to be spent seeking Him. So weigh that. How much time do you get fed the junk of the world versus how much time you get fed the Word of God. The second thing he says is a second warning sign that politics has become your religion is your enemy is the other political viewpoint or the other side. Listen, if you're a Republican, the Democrats are not your enemy. If you're a Democrat, the Republicans are not your enemy. I can't wait to get to heaven and spend it with the Democrats and the Republicans. <laughs> because if, if we want to look at it like this, I don't think this is how it plays out. Peter is not the guy at the gate checking the cards. But if Peter were, 
Peter would not say, could you please show me your registered voter card so that I can understand which side that you voted or which side that you were registered. Listen, the other side from your viewpoint is not the enemy. Genesis chapter 3 established the enemy. And that was Satan. And the reason that we have division is because that's how the enemy always works. He wants to divide us into our little camps so that he can then conquer us. And whenever we're fighting about mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, right or left, red and blue, the enemy is Satan. And we have to make sure that the people on the other side of us are not the enemy. Because if that's how we view it, then politics has probably become our religion. And the third thing he says is the third warning sign that politics has become your religion is if you live as if there is an enduring city here instead of knowing the place that Jesus has gone to prepare. This world can be destroyed today. Let it be destroyed. My body, you could take me out today. Take me out. Because this body is not eternal. This world is not eternal. John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Listen, I am living today because I'm going there. I don't plan to spend the rest of my life in South Daytona. I don't plan to spend eternity in South Daytona. I plan to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus. And so if you plan to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus, then you probably ought to be experiencing the presence of Jesus today. Jesus said, God said, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now you can ignore the last 15, 20, 30, 40, however long that I've been up here. But I think Jesus said it best whenever he said to us in Matthew 26, verse 52. Put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. So, let's take out the word sword and let's put in this word. Put your sword, no, politics back in its place. For all who draw upon politics will die by politics. Or put in whatever, whatever word you want to put there. Circumstances? You want, you want to throw your circumstances in there? You want to throw the mess of this world in there? Do absolutely all of that. What Jesus means here is we have to be a people that are purposely seeking His presence to have the answers for this world. Carmen sang a song two or three decades ago. It's been quite a while back. It says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. He would ask people in this concert to raise their hand if they believed that Jesus was the answer. Because he said, when he was in school, whenever you raised your hand, that meant that you knew the answer. Jesus has always been and will always be 
the answer for this world. And we, as people of Christ, need to make sure that we have our entire heart seeking Him and nothing else. So who are you seeking? Who or what are you seeking? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.